Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Okay, you guys, there is so much more to life than just workouts and healthy recipes. This is all of those real moments, the good, the bad, and the sometimes hilarious things that make life so worth living. So how do you live it? This is the Let's Do Life podcast with me, Autumn Calabrese. What's up, you guys? Welcome to another episode of Let's Do Life. I am fitness and nutrition expert Autumn Calabrese. Today, we have an amazing guest on the podcast. We love talking about transformations. And my guest today transformed his life, his body, and his mindset because of love. He has lost 250 pounds. And most importantly, you guys, he found his why. You know how important that is. He is a very talented actor. You know him from his roles in My Name is Earl, the movie Blow alongside Johnny Depp, Cold Mountain with Jude Law and Nicole Kidman. And I remember him, I'm taking it all the way back to my childhood, you guys, from Boy Meets World. Welcome to the show, Ethan Supli, you guys. Ethan, welcome. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm good, Autumn. How are you? Good. I'm so excited to have you. So, like I said... I go all the way back remembering you from Boy Meets World. But for the audience listening, let's take it back a little further. Can you just give them a little bit of background? Like, where are you from? How'd you grow up? I was born in New York, but um, we moved to Los Angeles when I was very young. And and I've pretty much lived here in L.A. my whole life. I, I've, I spent the majority of my life on diets from the time I was about five uh, that my parents would put me on. And I cheated at these diets with reckless abandon. I did not care about their diet plans. Uh, and, and, and yet, if they did not know I was cheating, I would be rewarded with like a trip through a drive through So that was my relationship with food until I was about 22 or 23. And, you know, I had never... Um, I had never really, I had never really had any desire. I mean, I had, there were periods in my life where I wished I wasn't as overweight as I was, but I hadn't had, I hadn't done any long thinking about it. I hadn't really put any effort into a diet that wasn't being imposed on me. And then I got together with this girl. Let me ask you something really quick. I want to take it back a little bit. So you said your parents put, so you live, you moved, Born in New York, moved to L.A. Your parents are both actors, correct? They, they, they were theater actors in New York. When, when okay. we came to L.A., they were not actors anymore. Okay. And so at five years old, did your parents say to you, like, Ethan, you're going to be on a diet. Ethan, you can't eat a certain way. You know, honestly, it started with my grandparents. I went, the, my grandparents lived in Vermont, and I went back to visit them when I was five. And I I remember there was a day when I had no sense of body. uh, And then there was a single moment where my grandparents told me I was fat and that my parents had let me go. And in that moment, I became aware of my body. It was literally as though before that I had no awareness of it as this thing other than I'm a kid, I'm having fun, I'm living, I'm doing what I want to be doing. And then suddenly there was a lot of attention put on my body and kind of 
when I got back to LA, the, the rest of my life living with my parents, it was kind of one thing after the next where my mom would have a whole new way of eating, which was really designed to be a diet for me, but then everybody was participating in it. And this was the first iteration of Atkins, the Beverly Hills diet, which I was put on at a very young age, eating just pineapple followed by papaya. Like that's a crazy diet, especially for a kid. I was put on OptiFast when I was 10. Those extreme diets were not household events, but there was a constant need to solve our problems with food in, in so far as like we were eating macrobiotic for a while we never had sugar cereal in the house. All these limitations, which I think are perfectly fine if, you know, if they're not almost being done in a way that makes somebody feel like they're a punishment. If you right. choose to eat, you know, cut up cardboard and call it cereal, by all means, enjoy that if, if that's what you want to do. But I think for me, going to another kid's house and seeing a pantry full of the stuff that I've been advertised to but never had in my house was like this wild experience. So that was really how I was raised. It was just constant, this idea of nutrition and food, which was all kind of because I was overweight. When you look back, let me ask you, when you look back, if you can remember, I'm assuming you can, would you, were you overweight? Cause like kids go through different phases, right? Like my son is 12 right now and my son goes through stages where kids, you know, as they grow, they grow horizontal and then they grow vertical and then they grow horizontal and vertical. And at 12, he has, he definitely is very aware of his body and he definitely has discomforts at times with the way he looks. He feels like he has a tummy. We always talk about it in terms of health. There's nothing off limits here, but it's, it's always been interesting to me. I remember it's only been about two years that he's been aware of it. And when he brings it up, we actually try to sort of diminish it for him because it we don't want it to be. So looking back, do you think, were you overweight or were you going through the ebb and flow of kids growing? At five, when I look at pictures of myself at five, I can look at pictures of myself at four at the beach and I go like, by today's standards, that is not an overweight kid at all. Okay. It's like a little chub, but not even chub at four. But that's like, baby chub, like we're supposed to have that. Right. I'm not a ripped four-year-old, but I'm not, I, would, I don't even think by like BMI standards, which I think are kind of crazy, I would be considered overweight at that point. Cut to post this trip to Vermont. I'm now at the beach at five and a half, six with a t-shirt on because I'm so uncomfortable with my body. Wow. And I just steadily got bigger from there. So when I was 10, I was 200 pounds. Yes, I was certainly overweight at 10 years old. And they just kept throwing one thing after the next at me to try to solve this. And and nothing solved it, mostly because I didn't, I mean, I cared. I was uncomfortable and unhappy and dissatisfied with my body. But there was no part of me that was on board for any of the plans that they were coming up with like none yeah i mean at 10 years old like you, that's not something you're gonna really care about or worry about you're worrying about being 10 do you feel like being put on the diets 
made the situation worse because where you were being restricted. So you're on all these different diets that are very restrictive. Where are you getting access to unhealthy food somewhere else? Or it wasn't, it wasn't that I was getting access to unhealthy. Look, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible situation and truly one that I don't even as a parent have a solution for because, you know, if one of my kids, like, as parents, we know it's our job to provide our kids with food. That's like one of the truly base jobs, duties that we have, like even in legal terms, you know. And so by the time I'm 200 pounds at 10 years old, I think it's for sure my parents have some responsibility to try to get that in order. Like I was not healthy. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, and, and it wasn't that I had access to unhealthy foods. I just would... I would go and eat when they weren't looking. I would, you know, when I'm clearing the table, I would eat food off other people's plates. And I was just unmotivated to be super active. So it was kind of this confluence of of wonderful tragedies that led me to become really, really overweight and unhealthy. What led you to want to get into acting? Your parents were theater actors. You were on Boy Meets World. How old were you when you were started on Boy Meets World? And was that your first acting? That was yeah, that was my first professional job. I was 17. You know, I had a had a friend who was an actor and I went with him to set one time and I realized like he got to avoid school by doing this job of acting and and it was this like kind of wonderful job where you're playing make-believe and like it just seemed fun to me it also seemed like a good way to get out of school it seemed like a good thing that I didn't I didn't necessarily have to like learn a new trade to do so I was interested in in for that and then it was also super great in I was so uncomfortable with having attention on myself for my body that acting became like a disguise. So it is wonderful that people would look at me and, and their first instinct wasn't my God, he's so fat. It was maybe that's the guy from the show we saw or from this movie. That was like a, something I hadn't even necessarily thought of going into it, but I really was happy with that as a byproduct of them looking at you more for like your craft and what you did instead of your size. I'd always sit like in an airport and watch people's eyes cross me. And I had perfected this scowl as a kid. So I looked mean and to kind of shoo people from get, don't look at me because I'm an angry guy that you don't know what's going to happen. This kind of thing, total BS. And, and once I was an actor, if their eyes stopped, I, I, you know, it wasn't just because I was fat. It was also because maybe they saw me in some acting thing. So it kind of relieved the burden of always feeling fat. Were roles brought to you because of your size ever? For sure. Yeah. You know, the one thing I really stayed away from as an actor were using the word fat or just the fact that I was fat as the punchline of a joke. There were certainly a few instances where my agents brought me something and that that was the point of the character, which I just said, I'm not interested in this. Many of the roles I did were not written for fat guys. And that was kind of wonderful that I could just come in and be interesting and get the job despite being fat. 
and then some of them were written for a, a bigger dude, but that wasn't the focus. That was just a, a happenstance. Right. Okay. So here you are, you're going along acting career. And I was, I read the article, I forget which health magazine it was in, but I was like, probably men's health. Men's health. I, I think I was going to say, yeah. I think it was men's health. And you talked about like the vicious cycle that you were in with eating and that you were just like scarfing down burgers and shakes with barely chewing what, like, what was going on with you? Was there an emotion attached to the food? Was there, what was it that would make you just go have those like binges? That was almost every night. I just felt comforted by food. I've tried to analyze this a lot and I can't say that there's one thing where I go, aha, that's it. But I do know that I enjoyed eating and However miserable I was, I felt better when I ate. And and I also was embarrassed about eating, so I didn't like to eat in front of people. So I tended to eat very quick when nobody was around. And and that was a habit that just grew into like, if I'm sitting alone in my house, I'm going to eat quick just because that's how I eat. Did that, and you think that ended up leading to overeating? Like, because you're eating so fast, you barely have a chance to recognize that you're full? Yeah, the idea of full, that's a really interesting point because for the past couple of years, I've been trying to re to fix that or to rediscover what it is. I think I ran over that so much that I, I don't know that it doesn't exist. Like I can tell the difference between hungry and not hungry, but I, I allowed it to be such severe swings for so long that, you know, unless I was actively measuring stuff, I didn't know if, you know, if I just put uh, four cups of rice in a bowl with chicken on it, I would eat all of it. And then, you know, a few minutes later, I might go like, shoot, I ate too much. And so it, it has taken a while, but like, I did spend some time actively measuring my food. And, you know, I I, I, ho- I don't know if you use this word. I, I It makes me cringe a little bit, but I find it to be super truthful and honest, the word mindfulness. And, and when I'm sitting, not watching TV, I've measured out my food. I know that this is an accurate meal for my body. By the way, also through experience, not just like because some book said it was, and I'm eating this meal and paying attention to what my body is doing that has changed my life. Yeah. I mean, I love that. Obvious, what my whole nutrition program, I'm not sure if you know, is, is about portion control. So it's not about necessarily not getting to eat the foods that you love, but it's about not having this overabundance, overeating large volumes of food just because it's there. It's about going, this is what my body needs, this is what my body can function on healthy, right? Without being deprived. So I think that that's, so special that you really took the time to, and I know, like you said, the word, I think the word gets used a lot. Mindful. You know, just like when people say be authentic, like they, they use it so much that you're like, but what does it mean? What does it mean? Are you authentic? (laughs) Are you mindful? But that taking the time and sitting down with your food and being present with it is so important because so many times we scarf it down. We don't even taste it. We don't really pay attention to how much we ate we don't check in with our own body cues of like, am I satiated? Do I need more? Am I overly full? Where am I at? So I do think that the mindfulness is 
while the word can make your skin crawl, I do think it's really important. Being an entrepreneur is not easy, y'all. And I love seeing that so many more women are stepping into the space of being an entrepreneur, running their own business. And I do my best to try to support businesses that are not just sustainable, but that are founded by women and that create awesome products. It's why I love each and every. It's a natural deodorant that checks all the boxes, sustainable, awesome product. It was actually founded by two women with a mission to create a high quality natural deodorant. And that's what it is. It has just six simple, safe ingredients, uh, coconut oil, dead sea salt, 100% natural fragrances from essential oils. There's no aluminum or other like hidden nasty ingredients in it. And it's been proven to fight odor as well as an antiperspirant, but it's not an antiperspirant because it doesn't have that aluminum. And you guys, it's not just been proven, obviously, by the tests that each and every does, but for me, it's proven when I try it and it works for me. And I have tried it and it works so well, like so well. I've tried a lot of natural deodorants and not all of them work great. So finding one that is natural, that I can feel comfortable with and safe with has just been really awesome for me. And if you guys want to check it out right now, my listeners can get 30% off your first purchase. You just go to com slash autumn and you enter promo code autumn30, A-U-T-U-M-N, the number three zero. So the promo code is autumn30 and you go to com slash autumn for 30% off today. Check it out. I want to talk about your journey and how you got to where you are because this transformation really is mind-blowing and you kind of did it not on your own because you had the help of of a wonderful woman your wife but ultimately like you didn't have a doctor helping you I, from what I read in the article it doesn't even sound like you had one specific plan you just started doing yeah. it like you just found something that works so back me up a little bit what what where were you when you were at your biggest what was your biggest weight my biggest weight, I'm, I'm also a sober person. And, you know, I, I stopped getting on scales at doctor's offices. You know, I think the first time, we, by the way, context, people weren't as big or as abundantly big 20 years ago as they are now. And so I don't even know what doctor scales go up to. But when I was a kid to the point where I stopped getting on scales at doctor's office. They didn't go past 350. And I remember when I got on the scale at a doctor's office and he said, you weigh more than our scale goes. That was it. I never got on another one. In order to go to a rehab, they said that I had to be weighed on intake and they didn't have a scale that could accommodate me. So I actually had to buy a shipping, like a freight scale ship it to them so that it was there when I arrived. And I got on this thing and I weighed 536. Now, I don't know if you've dealt with addicts or anything like that, but you give up drugs and alcohol, you gain a little bit of weight. Um, This is kind of standard. So I for sure was heavier than that, but I never got on a scale again at a heavier weight. So 536, I know for sure. I, I always say 550 because it's 
you know, I could have had a little salt one day and been 550 at 536. That's not um, outlandish. That was my biggest. And uh, the the day I, I decided to um, diet, I just had no, I, you know, I live in Los Angeles and my mother tried every fad that was out here as a kid. And I, I just didn't, I, I never paid attention, but I, but I kind of had the sense that you just find the food that's poisoning you and you get rid of that. That was kind of my inclination going into it. And, and the first thing I did was a liquid diet for two months and I lost 80 pounds. And you did a liquid diet exclusively for two months. Yeah. It was uh, two protein shakes a day and then a ton of supplements I think the supplements were almost entirely fiber to like fill up your stomach, but I, I don't know. I was just had handfuls of pills and I was constantly cold, constantly lightheaded. When I would stand up, I would almost black out. Like it was not fun, but I made it two months. And then I started going like, okay, well, I can't do this forever. I, I couldn't go to work like that was really the issue with not just taking that all the way to the end. And so I started looking into diets and for a lot of years, over a decade, I kept looking for the source of my fatness in food in, and, and by way, when I say in food, I mean in an ingredient or in a, a macronutrient or a refined sugar or a lectin or a carbohydrate or what, whatever it might be. And I had a lot of swings. I did a lot of different diets and I would lose weight. As long as I stuck to the diet, I would tend to lose weight. The only diets I didn't have a lot of success with were diets that had cheat days because I could wipe out a week of work in a single day, no problem. And anything where it was like, you know, on keto for me, after a while, just eliminating carbohydrates, I stopped losing weight because I can eat a lot of steaks. You know, I can eat, uh, like if you put butter on a steak and nobody's saying like only an ounce of butter, I will put a stick of butter on a steak. I will eat it and then I'll eat another one. And, and then I was doing like a really weird version of keto where I was eating salami cheese and pork rinds and that, that, you know, that's a lot of calories. And, and I was like going, why am I not losing weight? I haven't had a carbohydrate in a year. They're not the enemy. Right, right. Exactly. So I, I, I saw this Ted talk with a guy named Mike Isretel and he, he, I think it's called the dietary landscape of healthy eating. And he basically was saying, none of this stuff is bad for you. If, if, and talking about energy balance and 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 I was kind of in at a point where I was killing myself and I had I had taken keto to an extreme where I wasn't thinking about it in terms of counting calories but I was going like okay I'm eating clean keto which was like chicken thighs and avocados and red meat but I knew that I but because I wasn't losing weight I was suddenly just eating less and less and less and kind of hungry all the time. And then I would start losing weight again. I go, okay, well, I can only have one chicken thigh and a half an avocado and I'll be hungry, but I'll lose weight. And when I heard what Dr. Mike was saying, I was like, I might as well give this a shot because I was also getting DEXA scans and realizing that 
uh, for every 10 pounds of total weight loss, four of them were lean tissue. And I was in the gym lifting weights and I wanted to have, you know, I wanted muscle. I was like, this isn't working the way I want it to. And I, I listened to his TED talk. I read his book. I read uh, Lane Norton's book, Fat Loss Forever. And, and, and I was like, I'm going to give this a shot. And I hadn't really eaten carbs other than like at Christmas or on vacation. And I was go like, well, I'm going to, here's 20 pounds of weight gain. And I reintroduced them, gained a few pounds the first few days, which was terrifying and then started to lose weight and, and suddenly was kind of like, okay, if I'm sure I'm only losing fat, it's okay if it's so much slower. It's okay if it's not a pound a day. It's okay if it takes time. I'm going to hold on to my muscles. I'm going to lose this fat. It's going to be okay. And that's what I've been doing for a few years and taking really long diet breaks and being on maintenance and like reacclimating myself to what my idea of a, like a normal person, how they live without these fluctuations is wild. I've never done that. I'm so impressed by your willingness to learn. Like, really, I think that's so remarkable because so many people are frustrated, right? That so many people are in some version of what you have gone through, but they don't want to take the time to educate themselves. Like right down to you getting DEXA scans and realizing, hey, for every however much of fat I'm losing, I'm losing four pounds of lean tissue of muscle. That's not good because muscle is part of what helps you burn fat. Muscle was something you were looking to retain. You wouldn't have known that without the DEXA scan tool. You would have just yeah. thought, hey, lost more weight. Right. The fact that you read the books and, and read more books and listened to the TED talk. I just, for everybody listening, you guys, it's so important to educate yourselves and, and everybody's journey is going to be a little bit different. So yeah. it's really important to remember as well that you have to take your own path. And even like you said, that you were willing to let it be a slower journey. I love that, that you were willing to not lose a pound a day. I can't tell you how many people will message me and they're like, I lost four pounds this week. Or they'll say, I only lost four pounds this week. I'm so annoyed. And I'm like, what? What do you mean you're annoyed? Like that's, that's a big number in a week, especially when you're not four or 500 plus pounds. Um, we, we tend to lean towards this. I want it right now. And if it doesn't happen right now, it must not be working kind of attitude. Yeah. So I think that, that anxiety, that anxiousness, I totally understand that. Look at I'm 250 today. If I woke up tomorrow at 500 pounds, I would freak out and want it gone as fast as possible. But I never woke up going from 250 to 500 it happened over a long period of time and everything that came with it also came over a long period of time all my aches and pains developed slowly and got worse and worse and all of my mental garbage got heavier and heavier on my mind and weighed me down more and more and the freedom to really take my time and do this slowly ha has also been a huge game changer because the anxiety that forces me to do it in an extreme manner to get to some perceived finish line, which is like a arbitrary number on a scale, which I today think are totally meaningless to me. Yes. That same thing proved time and again that it was in, not sustainable. And I would almost, Oh, I mean, I did every time I did something extreme and I've done every extreme diet there is, I would gain the weight back. 
in record time, much quicker. There was never a point. I never reached some magical thing where I stopped eating carbs for a while and then was just fixed and knew how to eat. It didn't happen. Yeah. That's, I just, like I said, I love that so much. I think for people that are listening right now, that is so big. You said you gave yourself the freedom for it to take however much time. You didn't put 250 pounds on overnight. This is, that was a process from the time you were five. So yeah. it wasn't going to come off overnight either and being patient with your body. A lot of times it's the gift that you need because it's a weird mentality that people get into. They go, okay, I'm going to do it. I want to lose weight. And they work really hard, right? And then if it's not coming off fast enough, the mentality completely shifts and they go, screw it. I'm just going to eat everything. And I'm like, well, how does that get you any closer to like, wasn't going slower better than not going at all or going in reverse, but it's this weird yo-yo back and forth that we do. Did you do that at all? Like through all those diets where it was like, okay, it's not coming off. So screw it. I've done it done. Okay. It's not coming off. So screw it. I've done. It's not coming off. So I have to go even more extreme. I've done every version of that. Yeah. You know, I've broken on like day four of, I used to, there was a thing called, um, what was it called? That was super popular for a minute in Los Angeles, five or 10 years ago, some hormone that was like a pregnant lady's hormone. And you take this hormone and you eat 500 and, it, and it's the same for everyone. A, a 200 pound dude that wants to lose 20 pounds is doing the exact same thing as a 500 pound dude who needs to lose 250 pounds. You eat like 500 calories a day, and then there's a slight bump up in what they call maintenance, which is really just the addition of fat, like by a tablespoon, and then you're done. The thing is, they ask you in the beginning to gorge for two days. And so I would just like look so forward to the gorging because it was like, oh my God, I haven't done something like this in a long time. It's like two endless cheat days. And then you're kind of sick after that because you've eaten so much. And then you're starving yourself. And after three or four days of starving myself, a number of times I threw in the towel and was like, this is insane. I can't do this. But then I also did that for a month, two months and made it through that and lost, you know, 50, 60 pounds and then put it back on over the course of six months. Wow. I wonder what that was. I, want, I don't remember hearing about that, but that's crazy. HCG, I think it's called. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. And that, and the whole idea was like you're somehow the pregnant lady hormone protects lean tissue. And so you can starve yourself and you're not going to lose muscle. And it just is garbage. It's total BS. Like it's not true. It's, it's crazy the things that we're even allowed to put out there. Um, yeah, it really is mind blowing. So tell me how your wife comes into play because you talked about Liz hearing the Ted talk and that sort of being something that started you down the path, but also in the article, you talk about meeting your wife or your now wife and how that really transformed you and helped you get on this path and helped you want to lose the weight, not just for her and your kids, but really out of self-love for your, yourself. Yeah. There was never a point in my life prior to meeting this girl that I felt that I was worthy of the affection of somebody else. You know, not to say that I didn't think I deserved affection from my parents. I, I, it's not that extreme, but like certainly from girls, I never felt, I felt like, 
any relationship I had prior to that was basically that I was an actor that I could like, you know, that was the only thing that was attractive about me. And then along comes my wife who just didn't, it was like a non-factor. It, it, I, you know, it was so bizarre because I, I remember the, the day I kind of realized that if I wanted to have a future with her, I was going to have to change myself. I remember thinking I have to talk to her about this. And it was as though she was unaware of it. And so I was totally scared that if I bring it to her attention, she'll know. And then how could she want to be with me? You know, I mean, it's totally overt. You could see how much I weighed. So I was having this really bizarre, emotional, cognitive dissonance almost where I needed to talk to her about something that was plain as day and felt as though I was telling her a secret at the same time. And that if I tell her, she can't want to be with me anymore. And yet if I don't, there's no future for us because I just knew at some point she enjoyed doing things that I couldn't do Mm. going on hikes, spending the day at the beach, walking around a museum. All of these things were so incredibly taxing on me that it was just not something I could do long-term. And so it was really thinking about a future with her And I was working in Romania and I called her up and I I think I was very emotional. And I said, look, I need your help. I want to change. I don't know what to do. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. She said, great. I'll have something ready for you when you get back to LA for the time being. Don't eat bread. That was literally what she said while I'm in Romania. And I said, okay, no problem. So, so starting in Romania, I just didn't eat bread. Wasn't that hard. Got back to LA and she was like, you sure you want to do this? It's a really extreme thing. And I said, yeah. And she had this whole program with these shakes and fiber pills and stuff from, from a nutritionist who I saw. And I did that for a few months. And then it was over the course of that, that I was like, I'm going to start to look into what else. Cause you can't, I knew I couldn't live like that forever. And I just started looking at other diets and, and basically spent 15 years kind of jumping from one diet to the next. And there's no end to fad diets in Los Angeles. Every week we get a new one. You know, the guy who was telling us that we should only eat animals a few months ago is now selling vegan protein powder out here. It's wild. You know, you can't keep up. Yeah. Tell me, how did you meet your wife? I met her. We actually met when we were 16 and then I was desperately in love with her when we were 16. And, and then it was a few years later that we actually got together. We just met, at, at, you know, through a mutual friend in Los Angeles. So you guys have been together for a long time. Yeah. That's, I love that. From the time you really got serious about it, you said, you know, let's say from when you got home from Romania, how long has it taken you to lose the 250 pounds? Well, I, here's, here's the other crazy thing. I've been much lighter than I am now. And I was miserable in 2011 or 12. I had been on a TV show for five years and that had ended and I wasn't super motivated to work. And I had gained a bunch of weight while doing, I've gone from 550 to 400 to 450 to 350 to 400 like I've bounced all over the place but I got 
I started um, riding a bicycle for exercise and starving myself because when you're super into bicycle riding, you want to be as light as possible. And I got down to about 200 pounds and did not have abs, was so disappointed and was basically eating nothing and was just like threw in the towel for that, went all the way back up to 400 pounds. Oh, yeah. So it's really been since like 2016 that I've been losing this iteration of weight. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Five, so about five years ish yeah. for where you're at right now, but you're a tall guy, right? Six one. Yeah. So 200 pounds is, is a little light. I mean, you know, when it's one of those weird and trying to have muscle mass. Like that's, I, it's one of those weird things because I would go into the doctor and he would say, you know, you're still overweight. You want to be 185. And I would say like, I don't eat anything. I do eight hours, literally eight hours of cardio six days a week and I'm not eating anything. And then he would, and then that was the first time I got a DEXA scan and he said, you're 14% body fat. You actually don't need to lose weight. And I was like, okay, well, that's nice. But I like, how do I get abs? That was basically all I wanted. And then that was just something I couldn't do. As soon as I stopped riding bikes and went back to work, I gained a bunch of weight because I can't not eat at work. And there are all these things, but for the past four years, I haven't, I, you know, that's the other thing about being an actor. You show up at work and they're feeding you all day. Uh, they provide breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and there's a, a constant flow of snacks being brought to set. And there's a craft services, which on a big movie has anything you can ever imagine eating. I can't rely on that. So I, I bring my food to work. Even if I'm on location in some random state, I'm going to the grocery store after work and making sure I have food for the next day. Being prepared isn't half the battle. It is the battle. That really is. It's so true. I remember, I mean, I did acting jobs for a, a minute and I do remember like just the amount of food that was always there. And I can tell you actually, even on my first, one of the first fitness sets I was on, it wasn't one of mine. I was background for it. And we were filming like three workouts that day. And so we filmed the first two and we were taking a lunch break and we were about to film the last one. And they brought in lunch and it was Panda Express. Oh, and man. myself and the other girls in the cast, we were like, is this what we're supposed to eat right now? I mean, we're in like little shorts and sports bras and we're like, we're going to be so bloated. Like we're going to look terrible. And they were like, well, that's what's for lunch. And I was like, well, I'm not going to eat. Cause like, not cause I didn't want to eat, but I was like, I would rather wait to eat than eat that. And uh, even on my sets, once I got with Beachbody on my sets at first, they would have really good food for um, our lunch meal, but the craft services table was always loaded with crap. And I remember yeah. sitting on an airplane with my CEO having an argument with him about it. I hope I don't get in trouble for sharing this story. And I was like, you got to do something about crafty. And he's like, what, why? And I was like, we can't have peanut M&Ms and Snickers as the, as the snacks. Like, this is terrible. We're supposed to be fitness. And he's like, well, Autumn and the crew guys, and not everybody wants to eat like you. And I like looked at him and I was like, what do you stand for? Like, you're telling me it's okay for the crew to eat crappy. Like we don't support them being healthy too. And it was just, we argued back and forth. And ultimately he finally was like, you're right. 
we shouldn't have that because we're about having healthy. And if they want that kind of food, they can, I was like, they can bring their crap. Like if they want crappy food, let them bring it, but let's serve healthy food. So we ended up getting healthy food, even at crafty from that point on. So hopefully that's awesome. Hate me hearing that. But the whole point being is that I get it. They serve a lot of junk food, a lot of junk food. And and when it's staring you in the face, it's kind of hard to resist, right? Like at a certain point, you're just like, meh. Yeah, I had to I had to make it. I'm I'm unfortunately kind of an extremist, so I'm kind of all or nothing, which is why I think sobriety is eager, easier than getting food under control because you can just quit drugs and alcohol. You, you have to eat at some point, but with eating at food because it's tends to lean towards cheap unhealthy quick calories versus like whole foods or something like that, or what I tend to eat, I, I just bring my own. I just, it's just a, like a no go, a, a hard, like I stay away from, I don't know what they're cooking this stuff in and, and you know, yeah, it's easier to just not eat it for, for me. Is there anything right now or, or since you've sort of been on this journey that is besides alcohol that is off limits to you that you're like, if I have a little bit, I'll have all of it. Or, or have you found a way to have moderation? I, I I have I, I don't for, I don't like personally and this is just me I'm not saying n- none of what I, I don't think any of this necessarily applies to anyone but me but but I have found for myself that cheat meals were would derail me a little bit and so if there's something that I want to eat that is not of my typical food I will figure it out in like so that it doesn't throw my energy balance off for the day. And so it's not a quote unquote cheat. It's maybe incredibly untypical. Like I wouldn't, I think I have like three or four cheeseburgers a year, but I I really like them. And so I didn't want to, you know, because of food is not an all or nothing thing. So cheating the idea of cheating the idea of eating to the point where i'm so full that i can't move that's really off limits you know i hate that word cheat cheat meal because it just implies again that you're doing something wrong Mm -hmm. um i refer to things more as like a treat like oh treat but i a few years ago i stopped calling it cheat meals because of that i was like it just sounds negative it sounds like i'm doing something bad and there's nothing wrong if I want, you know, something more decadent or if I'm going out to a fancy dinner, but I'm still going to do it. I'm not in moderation. I'm still not going to go crazy. So I'm going to have a treat. Yeah. These areas of my life that really mean something to me, uh, sobriety really is important to me. I'm not going to cheat at that. My relationship with my wife is really important to me. I'm not going to cheat on my wife. So food is another thing where I don't want to cheat on the thing that has haunted me my whole life. And, and whatever my structures are, I just need to stay within them. Now that said, I have found that when they're so extreme, that's not good either. You know, when I'm demonizing a food type, that's not a healthy place for me either. So I can have ice cream, but I do figure out how 
it doesn't throw me out of energy balance for that day. I, I don't have that if I'm cutting weight, but if I'm on maintenance and I've got a little extra calorie surplus that I can mess with, I might have an ice cream or a cheeseburger. It's, it's very rare, but you know, there's also like stuff that's not something I would consider healthy, like enlightened or halo top, which makes it much easier to have something like that. It's still a food that I am not going to eat as a part of my normal daily life. Right. Yeah, it's not stocked the refrigerator or freezer with every version of it because it says it's high in protein and low in sugar. You're like, right, still something in there. Yeah, yeah, right. And and you know, I, I also amazingly have noticed that I'm a little bit more sensitive to these things. Which when I'm was eating them in abundance, I wouldn't notice that at all. But if I have ice cream. I tend to feel like crap the next day until I go to the gym and then I feel fine, but I definitely wake up a little like not feeling great. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. Let me ask you this. Is, is there something, and you might've just answered the question, but is there something that you understand about food and nutrition now that your younger self maybe didn't? Yes. Food is not the enemy. And I think what you were talking about is really the thing that I have learned for myself that is utterly true. And that is portion control is the entire game. I do not know innately when to turn off my eating. And so if I'm at a buffet, I can do a lot of damage without thinking about what, what do I need right now? Um, You know, even to the point where like, if it's the last meal of the day, I eat six meals a day. If it's the last meal of the day, that's not when I need the majority of my carbohydrates. I'm not restricting carbohydrates, but I could have used them earlier on in the day. Would have been more beneficial. I would have gotten something more. So things like that have really become a means to me feeling as close to what I perceive a normal person to be. Yeah. I like that a lot. That is even the fact that you said, you know, you're not carb restricting, but acknowledging they're more beneficial if I have them in the day where I can use them as an energy source than eating them last thing at night when I'm about to go to sleep. And I don't really need more energy because I need to go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. And on my, my rest day, which is another thing that I, because I'm so extreme, I would just work out every day and go as hard as I possibly can thinking this is how you do work, which I've totally stopped doing that too. I take rest days. I lift weights with the principles of a progressive overload. So I'm not just killing myself until I'm injured on my rest day. I increase my fats and decrease my carbs and it's great. And it's not, it's not like a day where I'm miserably withholding carbs. I have some carbs, but it's, but it's a little, the the ratio changes, you know, and it's perfectly fine. Yeah. It's like you literally have the nutrition of a fitness competitor. (laughs) I find it just so interesting because most people don't know anything about that unless you've been submerged or immersed in that world, which I did for a couple of years. And that's where I learned so much about it. That was like, oh, okay, this is how you can sort of manipulate for lack of a better word right now for, for, for the effects that you want. So I think that uh, that's, that's interesting that even on your rest days, you pay attention and you decrease it a little bit with the carbs and increase it with the fat. What is a typical sort of, week of fitness look like for you now, like with workouts or what kind of workouts or how much time? 
This is, well, it, it, it depends on if I have, if I'm working, if I'm working, I still go to the gym. I, I, I really prefer going before work because after work, my workouts suck, but I still do that occasionally. But I, it, and it also depends on what period I'm in. If I'm in maintenance, I might, uh, you know, decrease my cardio a little bit. I'm never doing like hit workouts or anything like that. It's all just basically weightlifting. And I do like, you know, chest or, or push workouts on Mondays. And then I do legs on Tuesdays and then pull workouts on Wednesdays and then basically repeat it, you know, and I do six weeks of this progressively adding volume to my workouts. And then I take a deload week, which is a complete nightmare for me. And I feel like I'm totally slacking and miserable. And then I feel great after that. And I kind of start over and change up the, the body parts a little bit. I'm not just, it's not, I, you know, I don't want it to get too stale or boring, but that tends to be what I do. I do a lot of low intensity, steady state cardio, I take my dogs, we live on a hill and I take them on walks a lot uh, around the neighborhood uphill. And, but we're never, we're never like hard charging or anything like that. I, I had to find something that I believed I could do for the rest of my life. Something that wasn't so intense or so time consuming that I could just do it forever. And so I can do everything I just said with an hour in the gym every day. So an hour a day, and do you take one rest day a week? Yeah, one rest day a week. And then every fifth or sixth weeks, I do a deload week, which is like cutting everything by two-thirds, still going to the gym. But if I don't go to the gym and I do a little extra hike, that's fine. Some kind of active recovery week. Yeah, that's an important one. I get asked that question all the time. People are like, well, what do I do? Do I jump right back in? And I'm like, you got to take at least a couple days, like, I, you know, because I know people fight the mentality of, like you said, where if they take a full week, they almost fall out of the routine and have a hard time getting back in it. So I tell them at least like two to three days, give yourself a yeah. two to three days. But a week is ideal if you can, if you can handle it mentally and not completely lose momentum. Yeah. Well, that, that I think is also why I go to the gym that week. I just am like, if I was doing six cents of bench press, I'm doing two with less weights and less reps and really feeling like a jerk and like hoping nobody's seeing how little I'm doing. <laughs> you're like, are they judging me? They're like, you're slacking. And you're like, no, it's just my rest week. Yeah. 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 That's good. Okay. Let me ask you about this. Um, I know my son watches everything I do. Are your kids watching everything you do? How are, how do they feel about your journey? You know, I don't watch any acting stuff I do. And so over the first lockdown that we had, I caught my kids watching My Name is Earl one day on some streaming thing, Netflix or Hulu or something. And I was so uncomfortable by this. And they were like, why? It's great, Dad. You were really funny. But it's never been something that was even that much discussed. If I had to be really honest with you, I don't think my wife has ever seen a movie that I've been in other than when we show up at a premiere, but then we leave five minutes into it. And so it's not, a, it's not really 
you know, my one of my daughters is 15. And so there are a lot of boys at her school right now that are lifting weights. And so she'll ask me questions from them. And so that's like the most interest I've ever seen from any of my kids that have anything to do with what I do. So they're not like, dad, are you working out today? Dad, what's the food like today? Like, do they are, do you see any of those habits or, or sort of patterns that you had as a kid? Do you see any of that in them? No, not, they they are really nothing like me, but we also, because, uh, you know, one of the issues I had more specifically with drugs and alcohol than with food was I, I, I lived in, I I feel like, and, and, and I, I don't fault my parents for this at all. They were doing the best they knew how I was kind of a disaster. But when I started having trouble with drugs and alcohol, I really didn't feel like I could talk to them because it was so taboo. There was never alcohol in our house. Food was always restricted. And so I couldn't go to them and I didn't feel like I could, of course, in retrospect, they said, of course you could talk to us. And, but I just didn't feel that way. So I've gone out of my way, my wife and I to make our house a very safe space for kids to tell us what they want, tell us what they're doing, communicate with us. You know, I have told them all that there's absolutely nothing that they could do that would ever make me like not love them. And so like, I'd rather talk about it than not hear about something that becomes a big problem. Yeah. That's, I think times are different now. Like when we were kids, I think it just, things weren't talked about as much. You just didn't ask certain questions and, you know, we learn from not our parents' mistakes, but we learn We'll use mistakes again for lack of a better word right now. Uh, but we learn from them, right? Like I know same thing with my son, with my dad. There were certain things that I just didn't talk to him about. And I try to make sure that we can always have conversations. And so far at 12 years old, there doesn't seem to be anything off limits that he'll talk to me about. So I feel like. That's awesome. I'm, I'm headed in the right direction. I'm not always doing the best job, but I'm headed in the right direction. Yeah, I have four girls. So there have been some conversations that I just defer to mom and say, like, listen, I really want to help, but I don't know what to say. Please talk to your mom. Yes, I do defer to his dad sometimes. I'm like, mom will talk to you about this, but I'm really uncomfortable and I don't want to <laughs> yeah. talk to dad. He's going to have a better answer. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you this as we wrap it up. One of my favorite mon- mantras that I say to people is life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. I play that over and over again in my head when hard situations come up about making sure I don't have the wrong reaction or a bad reaction. Again, I don't always do my best, but I try and I get better every day. Do you have a mantra that you sort of repeat or live by that gets you through the hard days or the hard times? I don't have a mantra, but I love that. And I love the Stoics. And I think that comes from something Seneca said, or or maybe Marcus Aurelius. And I do read them quite a bit and think they're the, the, the idea that I do agree that the idea that everything is just in our heads to some degree is true. And I think that we are ultimately responsible for how we're reacting to any situation. And I, and I, I, I hope that more people can feel that way. I, I do know that there was certainly a time in my life where if you told me that I would be like, what are you nuts? And it is a hard thing to 
explain to somebody, but I love that as a mantra. I, I, I don't have really a mantra, but I, I do think about things in, in those terms quite often. Yeah. So for our listeners, for anybody that's maybe where you were at a few years ago, right? They're, they're feel like they're hitting that high point. They're uncomfortable in terms of how their body feels. They're trying to start this journey. It's a scary journey. I can't say that I, you know, I have not experienced it the same way you have. I think we've all battled issues with food in one way or another. I think everybody has to like sort of start to learn and understand their relationship with food. But for those people that are really struggling right now, that are about to take the journey, are afraid, that have tried every extreme diet out there, what advice do you have for them? I would say that the hardest lesson that I learned and, but also the, the one that I'm happiest with is just the idea of moderation and to release yourself of the need to have anything happen immediately. Because I, I always felt that when it wasn't happening immediately, I was failing at whatever I was doing. And it's not true. It can take years. And I've been doing this now for 18 years. It basically took me 15 to figure out a plan that I could live with for the rest of my life. And I'm so happy. I don't know if I needed to go through those 15 years of torturing myself to get here, but I did. And that's okay. But nobody else has to look, people can learn from your example. That's always what I like to say is if somebody else paved the way, if you did the 15 years of hard labor and somebody else can learn and go, okay, maybe, maybe the crash diets don't work. Maybe I could just jump right into portion control. Maybe if they don't have all the same resources you did, you guys, Ultimate Portion Fix is a great place to start with portion control. But, you know, the title of the power, the, the name of the podcast is Let's Do Life, because it is, that's what I so hope that people do is that we do life, that we don't just go through the motions of life, but we really like grab on and do it. And we do it to the best of our ability and we do it in the healthiest way possible. It's a little bit different for everybody, but this has been so amazing, so inspiring, such a cool journey. I can't wait to share the photo that you, that we have in from men's health. I'm going to share that when this podcast goes up, because I just think it's so incredible to see where you were and how far you have come. Yeah. So I appreciate you joining us today, sharing your story with us, your struggles with us, and ultimately inspiring us. Thank you for being on Let's Do Life. You guys, let's do it. Let's keep doing life and doing it to the best of our ability. Thank you, Autumn. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Let's Do Life podcast with me, Autumn Calabrese. This show is produced by Will Sterling for Podcast One. Be sure to download new episodes every week and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at podcastone.com. And don't forget to leave a rating and review. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge-worthy TV shows, the latest news, live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, and Fire TV and start streaming now. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free.
Well, here we are on lockdown. How are you? It's Booker of the Perez Hilton Podcast with Chris Booker. We get it. We know you're bored. We're still doing shows. We're keeping you up to date with everything entertainment. A little bit of relief from everything that's going on in the world. You could get the show on Spotify. You could get it on your Apple Podcasts or the Podcast One app. Whatever you do, download and subscribe and get the PHP, the Perez Hilton Podcast with Chris Booker. And everything that's entertainment will be covered. 